At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Thank you, worship team. Would you give it up for them one more time, please? Thank you, Brent. Good morning, church. My name is Abraham Phillip. It's a delight to be here this morning with you. And, and it's a, a delight because it's a, a happy occasion that I get to sub in for Pastor Hannah as um, he and his wife. Yeah, you can give them a hand. Um, fourth time in a row, they get to be blessed. And so what a gift of life that God gives. We celebrate and we celebrate always. But it's a delight and a pleasure to be here once again with you. I'd like to start this morning by asking you to guess who this is a description of. They're going to put this on the board. At least I think they're going to put it on the board. Who does this describe? Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. Who is that describing? Oh, you've read the book. Oh, man. Good. It's Scrooge. In 1843, Charles Dickens went on to write, next slide. I'm going to have to pay you some money to not say that next time. <laughs> no beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such a such a place. Even the blind beggar's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming on, would tug their owners into doorways and up courts and then would, would wag their tails as though they said, no eye at all is better than an evil eye, dark master. Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge has become a name that we give to people who are, what, tight-fisted, unwilling and unable to part with anything that they have, reluctant, impossible givers. I start that because you know we're in a series called Overflow. From him through us, to all. In fact, we're at the last week of this series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to learn what it means not to be a Scrooge. And I hope over the last few weeks, we have looked, as we have looked at these two chapters of 2 Corinthians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this church in Corinth, how he has encouraged them to give, to meet the commitment that they had made in order to take up a collection, an offering, so that that money would then be used to be given to those Christians in Jerusalem who were undergoing severe persecution, who were undergoing intense famine. They had food shortage. They had, their lives were at stake. They had no income. And so Paul had in his heart to raise up this money, to take up this collection to help bring relief to these Christians who were in Jerusalem. And so he writes this letter, he writes chapters 8 and 9 specifically with a view to help motivate them, to re-motivate them to fulfill the commitment that they had made. And we've seen over the last four weeks how he had used the Macedonian church, this church that had nothing, who because of grace was able to dig deep and deeper to give beyond their means. And we've seen how we are called to be generous because God is generous to us. We've seen how Paul wants to have accountability with this money. And last week, we looked at how these brothers were coming ahead of Paul to help prepare the way so that these 
Corinthian Christians could in fact give. You remember all that, right? Thank you for the three of you. The rest you'll catch on. <clears throat> you'll catch on. I promise you will. So this week, we're in the last section of chapter 9, and we're going to learn that God gives so that we can give. God gives so that we can give. This is very different than being a Scrooge. Very different. In fact, it's a polar opposite. How can we, in fact, be Christ-like in our generosity? There are two truths, two responses that the Apostle Paul is going to give us from these verses, starting in verse number 8, that tell us how we can, in fact, be like Christ in our generosity. And the first is that we must trust God's all-sufficiency. We must trust in God's all-sufficiency. Let me start reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all-sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And we've talked about this, this idea that when we give, sometimes we're tempted to think, but if I give, I won't have enough for myself. That what happens if I give? What if there's an unexpected expense? What if I can't meet my needs? What if? What if? What if? Paul in verse number 8 actually tells us that God is the Lord of the what ifs of our life. Amen? That God is the Lord of the what ifs of our life. Verse number 8 tells us that when we are generous, God makes all grace abound to us. There's that word grace again. Over and over in these two chapters, I hope you have seen the word grace used over and over. In fact, 10 times Paul uses the word grace in just two chapters. And when we think of the word grace, we think of God's unmerited favor towards us, right? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we could have done to receive it. It was simply God's what? Grace, God's grace. But the word grace means more than just God's unmerited favor. It's also God's supernatural power working in our life to accomplish God's will in our lives. When we are generous, it's God's grace working and abounding in us to be generous because we can't be generous on our own, right? It's not our natural inclination to be generous, and if you're thinking, you know, should I be generous? I wonder if that's God or if it's me. Guess what? It's not me. <laughs> it's not my natural tendency to be generous. It is God working in me. It's the grace of God abounding in me. In fact, that's the word Paul uses here. He uses the word abound. It means abundance or to have an excess or to excel. The grace of God is abundant in our lives to empower us to be generous. And not only does God provide all grace, but notice he provides all sufficiency in all things at all times. Sufficiency, it's a word that means contentment. Now, what it doesn't mean is that we get all that we want. There's a lot of things we look at and we say, I need that. No, you probably don't need that. Like you could live till like 80 without that. What we need are the basics of life. 
And I know you're looking at me going, but, but I was really hoping for that next iPhone. I was looking really forward to buying that new Mustang GT. I work for Ford, I can, I can you know, it's a shameless plug. <laughs> but but we, we need that, right? No, no, we don't. What we need are our basic needs met. And God says that he allows all grace to abound at all times in all ways. Did you notice how often he uses the word all? It's exhausting even to just read it out loud. It is always, all the time, in everything, his grace abounds in every good work. In fact, if I were to literally read this verse for you in Greek, it would say that in all, always, in all things, you have all sufficiency. Is there a question about how often God's going to meet your need? He says all, always, all, in all things, at all times, he's always meeting your needs. Church, do you believe that? You're here this morning because of his all-sufficiency, amen? When you woke up this morning, he was faithful, amen? When you came here, he protected you. It's his all-sufficiency working at all times, in all ways, in everything, working. And notice what he says. Not only does that grace abound, and not only does all of this abound at all times, but it's all for the purpose of allowing us to be generous or to excel in every good work, it's not just for us to meet our needs. It's so that after being, having our needs met, we now abound or we excel in every good work. It's exhausting. It is. And yet it's so much fun because there's contentment there in the grace that abounds to us in Jesus Christ. In all, always, in all things, we have God's all-sufficiency to meet every need. As one preacher put it this way, he said, I shovel it out and God shovels it in and God's got a bigger shovel than I do. <laughs> and that's what it means. The more I give, the more God gives and his shovel's so much bigger than mine. Praise God for that. His all-sufficiency meets every need. Paul goes on in verses 9 and 10 to expand on that. In fact, in chapter nine, in verse number 9, he quotes from Psalm 112 in verse 9. Because ultimately, in verse 9, Paul is reminding us that ultimately God is the source of all our blessings. He's the source of everything that we have. He owns it all. And he generously provides everything to meet our needs. And then in verse number 10, he goes on to say that God uses us as his hands and feet to give to the poor, and that's what causes God's righteousness to be extended to those around us. So when we meet the needs of the poor, when you sign up for Spring Serve, when you come out and you go help those people, you are extending the righteousness of God through your hands and feet, and they get to see what Jesus looks like through us. Yes, we're committing our time. Yes, we're giving of ourselves. But when we do that, we reflect Jesus who did that for us, didn't he? And that's what the grace of God allows us to do. And then in verse number 10, Paul reminds us, who gives a seed to sow? God does. And what's the point of seed? Is it to keep it in my pocket? No, the point of seed is to get rid of it. It's to sow it. It's to scatter it. So that when you scatter seed, it produces a harvest. Have you ever noticed how much seed you get from sowing one seed? 
You plant one tomato seed. How many tomatoes do you get? Hopefully. Some of you, maybe not so much. But, I mean, hopefully. Typically, you get a, you get a dozen, two dozen, depending on your heirloom tomato that you have. Maybe dozens of tomatoes. You ever cut one of those tomatoes open? How many seeds do you have? You get a multitude of seeds. One seed produces a harvest of plenty of seeds. You see what verse 10 is telling us? God provides seed. That seed provides bread. That bread feeds us. And he gives us access to give to those in need. You see how the grace of God works? That not only does he meet our needs with all sufficiency, he gives us enough to give so that we can bless others with what God has entrusted to us. Righteousness and generosity is vitally important. Righteousness isn't simply an inner quality of purity or a right heart. It is not righteousness unless, as with God, it is demonstrated indeed. We cannot claim to have the righteousness of God if we are not able to display that righteousness with our deeds. And that's what the all-sufficiency of God allows us to do. It allows us to be generous with the wonderful resources that God has entrusted to us. So here's the principle I want to give you from this, these verses, and that is when we trust God's all-sufficiency, we will always be rich enough to be generous. When we trust in God's all-sufficiency, we will always be rich enough to be generous. Church, do we believe that? Do we believe that God's all-sufficiency is so wide and so vast and so much that not only does he meet our physical basic needs, but that he gives us more than enough for us to be generous with? That's the question. But if we're wrestling with, well, I don't know if I can meet my needs. I don't know if God will take care of me. I don't know if I can trust him to do that. Then we've missed the point of God's grace. God's grace that is given to us is given without our merit, without us earning it, without us having to work for it. It's given to us because God is so gracious and generous with everything that he's got. He gives and he gives and he gives more grace even when we don't deserve it. By the way, let me remind you of the grace of God for just a minute. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul reminds us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took upon himself our sin so that we might have a relationship with God. He took our shame so that we might have an honor with God. He took our death so that we might have life. He took upon himself everything that we deserved so that we might have things that we didn't deserve. He paid it all. Nothing but the blood of Jesus washes us clean of all of our sins. Amen? And that's the grace of God working in our lives. We have the grace of God. And because we have the all-sufficient grace of God, not only does it meet our needs, it allows us to be gracious and generous with all that God has entrusted to us. If you have not ever trusted the grace of God, may I invite you to do that today. If God is stirring in your heart, if the Spirit of God is convicting you of your sin, why don't you turn to him and say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. I need that cleansing. I need that forgiveness. I need you. And the moment you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. And you too can experience the grace, the all-sufficient grace of God in your life. 
a grace that we don't deserve, a grace that we don't have to work for, a grace we get simply because it's his gift to us. Amen? Amen. And when that grace does intersect our lives, and for those of us who have experienced that grace, then we get to give that grace away to others, just as God so freely and generously gave that gift to us. God doesn't bless us so that we can improve our lives. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to everyone around us. How do, how do we become more like Christ? By trusting in the all-sufficiency of God. The second way we become like Christ is we pursue the deeper fruit of giving. We pursue the deeper fruit of giving. Notice verses 11 to 15. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. <clears throat> By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your generosity, of your contribution for them, and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So Paul reiterates the fact that our generosity allows us to be Christ-like, that, that God blesses us in abundance with an excess to not only meet our needs, but to give that away. And then he turns and he pivots in verse 11 and 12 and on to show us that not only is this about meeting physical needs, not only is this collection that this church is taking, not only is this collection that Paul is gathering from all of the churches that he planted going to meet the physical needs of this church in Jerusalem. But it's much more than that. There's far more going on than just meeting the physical needs of some people far away. These verses remind us that not only is there a physical overflow of generosity, but there is a spiritual overflow happening as well. There are three spiritual overflows that Paul talks about in these verses. In fact, at the end of verse 11 and into verse 12, he tells us that there is thanksgiving to God. These believers who are going to receive this gift from all of these other churches are going to say, thank you, Jesus. They're going to break out in thanksgiving to God who remembered their, their issues, who remembered their need, who supplied that need through the hands and feet of other brothers and sisters around the world. There's going to be thanksgiving. And then when you look at verse 13, you see that the Corinthian church's salvation gets to be proven genuine. You see, when we're generous, when we give of all that God has entrusted to us, then as Paul says, then our confession of the gospel will be validated. Now, let me be clear. We are not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But works is a product. It's an output. It's a marker of the transformation that occurs in our heart. And one of those markers or one of those outcomes of salvation that occurs in our heart is when we become generous. Because God is generous, one of the things that mark us as Christians is generosity. And that's what the Apostle Paul here tells us is that we are generous because our heart has been transformed. So when people look at you and me, what do they see? When they look at our finances, what would they see? You know, if you were to look at my finances, you would see that I love books, and I love good food, and I love my family. 
and I love my home. You'll, you'll see that. But you'll also see, I hope, that I love Jesus. What will people see when they look at you, when they look at your finances? You see, when, when they look at us, they ought to see people who value God so supremely that we live with a generous mindset. They should see us be so generous that the only thing they can conclude is that God is so trustworthy that we as his children give everything that we have away. That God meets our physical needs so that we can be generous. The third spiritual fruit we see is that there's a bond that's forged between the giver and the receiver. That's in verse number 14. You see, this church that's thousands of miles away from the Corinthian church and this church and, and the Jerusalem church, there's a connection, there's a bond that's forged between the giver and the receiver. And that happens through the grace of God flowing in both of their lives that God spiritually knits them together as brothers and sisters across the world, separated by language, separated by space, separated by culture, and yet forged as one in Christ. When we're generous, we get connected together to bring glory to God and to accomplish His will and His purpose in our lives. That's true for us as a church. When you are generous we as a church get to support orphanages in, in Thailand and in India where we get to rescue children out of the, the horrible states that, that they're in and, and give them a home and a place to stay and to learn about Jesus. When you give generously, part of your, your, your generosity goes to fund missionaries all around the world that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ where lives are being transformed through their preaching, through their ministry, through the generosity of Woodside. I had the privilege of many years ago prior to COVID several times going to visit our, our partner in India in Chennai called, uh, whose name is Mano Daniel. He has this printing machine that we funded that prints millions and millions of tracks in dozens of different languages. And he has these men who take these tracks and, and they travel all around on bikes and trains, passing out tracks and preaching the word. And you know what happens? People come to faith in Jesus Christ with a tract. People are getting saved. And because the person who brought the tract is the most experienced Christian, that person becomes the de facto pastor of the church. They have no training. They have no education. And so a couple of times a year, we would send two men to India. I was one of them. And we would go and teach them. And, and Mano would gather all of these men. He calls them leaders in obscurity. And he brings these leaders in obscurity together. And we had the privilege of teaching them word of God and teaching them leadership and teaching them how to, how to ha handle and minister in a church. And one of the parts of, of going there and ministering is not only do we get to pour into them, they get to share their stories with us. And I'll never forget one, one story of one lady. Let me just share it. I think I have time. Just one, one story. There's one lady, she was always in the front row, but her arms were always bandaged. All, always bandaged. I got a chance to sit in a little small group huddle with her, and she shared her testimony. She was, she was born in the northern parts of India. She was a Hindu worshiper. Her father made an arrangement to have her married to a, a young man in another village, and so they got married. The marriage was good. The only problem was the mother-in-law. 
for some reason, the mother-in-law despised her. We don't know if it, what the reasons was. She doesn't know what the reasons were. Doesn't know if the mother-in-law was, was, it, was asked about the marriage, consulted on the marriage. We don't know. She doesn't know. Three months into the marriage, at an opportune time when the husband, her husband was away, when the, when the mother-in-law's husband was away, she got so fed up, she doused the girl with kerosene and lit her on fire. It was the providence of God where her husband happened to come back early, heard the screaming, doused the fire, rushed her to the hospital where they tried everything they could to help her recover. But the problem is there were so many severe burns on her body. Her organs had taken a hit. Her vitals were dropping. Her organs were failing. And after trying to do as much surgery as they could, they gave up and they said, there's nothing we can do. They left her in a bed all alone. Her husband had deserted her. Her family's not in this village. There's nobody there for her all alone in that hospital room. Unbeknownst to her or anybody else, there was one of these leaders in obscurity who was walking and traveling by with a tract. Heard of this woman, received permission to go pray for her. He went into the hospital room and prayed for her. And no sooner did he say amen, but she got it. Got getting better. Got getting better? Excuse me. She was starting to get better. I'm getting teared up. She got better. Her vitals started to stabilize. Her organs started to respond. And as a result of her starting to recover, they did skin graft after skin graft, trying, trying to recover as much of her as possible. And to make a long story short, they finally released her, but her husband divorced her. And that leader in obscurity met her, shared the gospel with her. And she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And she doesn't know what she's going to do with her life. She's half burned. She's essentially damaged goods. She's now divorced. What's she going to do? Well, another young leader in obscurity heard her story, came and married her. And now they've planted a church in another village. And they're, pardon the pun, on fire for Jesus. They're sold out for Jesus. They're sharing the gospel. They're sharing her story. They're sharing the power of God. All because you and I are faithful in being generous to print some tracks in a country so far away. Our stories are knit together. Our lives are knit together for the glory of God so that we get to do His will for His glory so that people's lives are transformed. Amen? That's what happens when you're generous. Our lives get knit together. And God receives the glory, and his will gets to be done here on earth. Folks, I can't think of anything better to do with my life than to spend it the way God wants us to, to do it for his glory. And that's just one story out of many. All around the world, where we are supporting and other churches are supporting, where Christians are supporting other Christians, where we're helping feed the hungry and clothe those who have no clothes and, and helping those to have people to have a home. We're preaching the gospel and lives are being transformed all because of your generosity. Never forget that on the other side of your faithfulness is a life or lives that are being transformed by the power of God. And as a result, the Apostle Paul now concludes in verse number 15. He says, And thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know, just as I was preparing for this message, I went to my wife and I said, uh, Hey, um, Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What do you think that gift is? And she said, without a, without a hesitation, she said, It's mother's. Of course, it's mother's. 
And, and I, that's a true story. I kid you not. It didn't. And I think you'd agree. Mothers are perhaps an indescribable gift. By the way, the Apostle Paul uses a made-up word. It's a word, indescribable, inexpressible, is not a word that's found anywhere else in the Bible. It's not found anywhere else in the Greek language. It's a word he made up because he's trying to describe the indescribable. Mothers kind of fall into that category, don't they? They're kind of indescribable. Mothers would say what to that? We're not quite sure. <laughs> you know, I think mothers express God perhaps the best out of any other person on the planet. Because mothers give. Mothers are generous, generous with their time, generous with their resources, generous with everything. Think of how selfless mothers have to be in order to take care of that child. Mothers, would you agree? Children, would you agree? You better say amen. <laughs> I think mothers are perhaps a supremely inexpressible gift. Thank God for mothers. But that wasn't what, who Paul was thinking about. When Paul said, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, who was he thinking of, church? It's not a trick question. You can shout it. Jesus! It is Jesus, and it's the gospel of Jesus. It's the fact that he came to save us, that he left heaven behind. He who was rich became poor so that we who were poor could become rich in Jesus Christ. He is the inexpressible, indescribable gift, so amazing that Paul has to make up a word to help describe something where words fail. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift of Jesus. I pray that you're here today and you know Jesus Christ. Friends, there is no one else like Jesus. There's no one else who would come into this world to shoulder your sin and mine, to shoulder your shame and mine, to shoulder your unrighteousness and mine, and to spend it all to shed every drop of blood on a cross, not because he was guilty, because we were. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin may have left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Friends, I hope you know him. I hope you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, today is a wonderful day to come to know him by faith. By the way, we come to the end of the chapter, and perhaps you're wondering, well, how did this story end? Did the Corinthian church, in fact, do something? Was there a collection? Well, let me read for you what the Apostle Paul writes a couple of years later in Romans chapter 15. He writes these words. He says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia is where Corinth is located. So Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. So yes, they received Paul's letter. Yes, they received the brothers in Jesus Christ. They received the instruction and they gave, and they gave generously to the relief effort for the saints in Jerusalem. Praise God for people who listen. Praise God for those who are obedient to the word of God. And praise God for those who are generous. You see, God is all sufficient. He meets each and every need. It is impossible, by the way, not to be generous when we remember the grace of God. 
So as I close and as the worship team does come up, can I ask you a question? Do you know any Christian Scrooges? Think about it for just a moment. Do you know any Christian Scrooges? By definition, those words are mutually exclusive. You cannot be a Christian and a Scrooge. They don't go together because a Christian is one who has learned and tasted and seen how good God is, how generous God is, how wonderful God is, and that gets expressed in a Christian's life. We can't help it. That's the kind of God our God is. Generosity is the fruit of a redeemed life. Friends, we will always be rich enough to be generous because God gives us so that we can give. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.